Hare Krishna Prasaya Bhutale, Srimate Bhakti Vedanta Swami Niti Namane Namaste Sarasvati Deve, Gauravani Pacharani Nirvasesis Nivadi Paskachade Satarani. Vandeham Shri Guru Shri Yuta Padakamalam Shri Guru and Vaishnavam Shashi Rupam Sagrajatam Sahagana Raganatam Vitam Sam Sajivam Sadvaitam Sadvajutam Padijana Sahita Krishna Chaitanya Deva Shri Radha Krishna Padam Sahagana Lalita Shri Vishakam Vitam Shah Panchakapaji Vishaki Pasindabhapati Janam Pavanavya Vaishnavivinurma Om Nima Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya September 25th, 2021 from the Bhakti Center in New York over the internet reading from Srimad Bhagavatam, Canto 9 Chapter 15, Parashuram, the Lord's Warrior Incarnation Text 26 Haridwanam Risher Darpan Naran Hartumachodayat Techa Mahishmatinyu Savatsam Krandatimbalat Havidanam the Kamandalu So Havidana means giving Havi <laughs> hmm. Giving one who gives ghee Danam is charity one who gives ghee and charity. Rishahe of the great sage Jamadagni, Darpat, because of his being puffed up with material power, Naram, all his men, soldiers, Hartum, to steal or take away, Achodayat, encouraged, Te, the men of Kartavir Arjun, Cha, also, Mahishmatim, to the capital of Kartavir Arjuna, Ninyuhu, brought, Savatsam, with the calf, Krandatim crying, Balat, because of being taken away by force. Srila Prabhupada's translation. Being puffed up with material power, Kartavir Arjuna encouraged his men to steal Jamadagni's Kamadenu. Thus the men forcibly took away the crying Kamadenu along with her calf to Mahirshmati, Kartavir Arjuna's capital. Purport. The word Haridvanam is significant in this verse. Haridwanam refers to a cow required for supplying havis, or ghee, for the performance of ritualistic ceremonies and sacrifices. In human life, one should be trained to perform yagyas. As we are informed in Bhagavad Gita 3.9, yagnartat karmano natra loko yam karmabandhanaha. If we do not perform yagya, we shall simply work very hard for sense gratification like hogs and dogs. This is not civilization. Human beings should be trained to perform yagya, yagnat bhavati parjanya, Bhagavad Gita 3.14. If yagyas are regularly performed, there will be proper rain from the sky. When there is regular rainfall, the land will be fertile and suitable for producing all the necessities of life. Yagya, therefore, is essential. For performing yagya, clarified butter is essential, and for clarified butter, cow protection is essential. Therefore, if we neglect the Vedic way of civilization, we shall certainly suffer. So-called scholars and philosophers do not know the secret of success in life, and therefore they suffer in the hands of Prakriti, nature. Prakriti, Kriyamanani, Gunai, Karmani, Sarvashaha, Bhagavad Gita 3.27. This purport is just full of 
third chapter in Bhagavad Gita. Nonetheless, although they are forced to suffer, they think they are advancing in civilization. The Krishna consciousness movement is therefore meant to revive a mode of civilization in which everyone will be happy. This is the motive of our Krishna consciousness movement. Yagnye Sukena Bhavantu which means may you all become happy by sacrifice. Havidvanam Rasher Darpan Naram Hartum Achodayat Techa Mahishmatim Ninyu Savat Samkradatim Balat Being puffed up by material power, Kartavir Arjuna encouraged his men to steal Jamadagni's Kamadenu. Thus the men forcibly took away the crying Kamadenu along with her calf to Mahishmati, Kartavir Arjuna's capital. So, here we have some of the purpose of, our, of a Krishna consciousness movement to revive a mode of civilization in which everyone will be happy. Uh, that's what it's meant for. That's our motive. Our motive is for people to become happy. And Prabhupada's talking here about happiness not just spiritually. He's talking about Material prosperity, having the right amount of rain, having fertile soil, having good crops. 190 times, 195 times, Srila Prabhupada uses, that's recorded or written, Srila Prabhupada uses the phrase peace and prosperity, peace and prosperity. So this morning I was listening to Srila Prabhupada speaking about how Krishna takes away sometimes opulence from his devotee in order to push the devotee closer to him. Srila Prabhupada was speaking about his own taking of sannyas. Uh, And sometimes because of of these statements, devotees sometimes have the impression that it's nice to desire uh, horrible things. (laughs) Devotees will say, well, it will be very good, you know, if the economy fails or... uh, People will become more God-conscious. But that's, although that may be sometimes true for an individual as an, a special kind of mercy shown by the Lord, in general, a God-conscious society, a Krishna-conscious society, is a prosperous society. It's an opulent society. It's a happy society. Prabhupada said that's the motive, to become happy. Yagye sukena bhavantu. It's interesting. The Krishna consciousness movement is therefore meant to revive a mode of civilization in which everyone will be happy. And again, Prabhupada's defining here happiness as there's rain, there's crops, there's opulence. If we look at the universe with the amount of material prosperity, there's a concomitant rise in Krishna consciousness. So Krishna consciousness and material prosperity are going hand in hand in the universe. As we go up through the planets, they are both more and more Krishna conscious and more and more prosperous. Until you get to the planet of Lord Brahma and they're so Krishna consciousness, there's practically speaking no miseries. Yes, Krishna says, Abrahma, Bhuvana, Loka, Arjuna. There are some miseries. But the main misery on Lord Brahma's planet is just the compassion for the fallen nature of conditioned souls in the world. Mm-hmm. So how are we going to achieve material prosperity and spiritual happiness, both? Sometimes we may think that they're at odds. 
again, people may think to become Krishna conscious, we have to have a, a world of privation. But we'd like both. In the third chapter, Krishna says, uh, for living happily and attaining liberation. And this is the motive of our Krishna consciousness movement, to have people be happy uh, in every respect. You can say, well, what, what about Dukalayam Ashasvatam? Uh, yes, but the world is only Dukalayam when we're not Krishna conscious. <laughs> uh, the world is not that Krishna wants us to suffer. This is, is rubbish. What a terrible view of the Lord. Why would anybody want to worship a God and surrender to a God who wants us to suffer? It just doesn't make the slightest bit of sense. You know, well, I have to surrender to God, otherwise I'm going to go to hell and suffer, and if I surrender to God, he's going to make me suffer, and, you know, why? Surrender to God means joining in his happiness. Krishna is unlimitedly happy, and he says that when we focus on him, we have boundless transcendental happiness. The whole purpose of our Krishna consciousness movement, Prabhupada has said in some other places, is to join the Lord in his pleasure dance, to join him in his play, to join him in, in pleasure. And Krishna wants, even on the material level, for the world to be a place of prosperity and happiness. Uh, that's, that's what Krishna actually wants. That is, that is what Krishna actually wants. He wants the world to be a world of prosperity and happiness. Doesn't every good parent want that for their children? I mean, you have to be a really envious, nasty parent to want your child to suffer. You know, we take parents like that and put them in jail if they intentionally cause suffering for their children. But reasonably normal parents... They want their children to be happy. They want their children to be prosperous. They want their children to be good people. Why wouldn't Krishna want that? So this yajna, which Srila Prabhupada generally translates as sacrifice, uh, is essential for this material prosperity and for spiritual connection. Now, the difficulty is that yajna, like so many Sanskrit words, it doesn't have an easily equivalent English word. You know, in English we think of sacrifice as equivalent to austerity and equivalent to suffering. You know, I take something I want, I like, and I give it up. That that's, that's what we usually mean by sacrifice. That's not what Srila Prabhupada means when he's translating the word yajna into the English word sacrifice. Yeah, like he's talking about here for a sacrifice you need ghee <laughs> he's talking about a, a you know for lack of a it's, it's a religious ceremony the problem is when we use the word religious ceremony then people think of it as some sort of uh, foolish superstitious ritualistic thing so to translate it into a religious ceremony is going to have as many problems as translating into the word sacrifice but it means some ceremony of connecting with the divine, of giving to the divine, of giving to Krishna. I mean, yagyas can also mean, of course, there's yagyas done for the demigods. And in many societies, they do yagyas even for semi-demigods. They'll do yagyas for the, you know, the fo local forest deity and the local river deity. In, in fact, Krishna advised that in Govardhan Lila, although in that case, of course, the deity of the local mountain was himself. 
But that kind of yagya also goes on. Uh, so, yagya is a ceremony of connection with the divine. And it brings material prosperity, it brings spiritual liberation. And then we want to ask, well, what kind of yagya should we do? How should we do yagya? So everything has its source in the divine, in God, in Krishna. What is the source of everything that we have? What's the source of my abilities? I didn't create them. Even if I work hard for my abilities, that doesn't mean that they're going to be there. You know, a lot of people work hard and they, they don't get anything from it. What's the source of my body? You know, it came from my mother and father, but they created it without conscious thought. The mother is not consciously putting together the arms and legs of the baby in the womb. She doesn't even know how it happens. My body is being created by the food I eat, which is coming from the sun, from seeds, none of which I create. Even the, you know, our computers, our buildings, our cars, they're all coming from materials that we don't create. We're not the source. Bhakti Swami likes to say, may the source be with you. <laughs> you know, we're not, we're not the source of anything. We are not the source of anything. Right? Everything comes from something else. If we, anything that we value, if we say, well, where, where do we get it from? It came from our genes, it came from past lives, you know. But ultimately, it doesn't come from us. No matter how hard we work and how sincere we are, everything we get is from another source. Nothing is fully under our control. All the raw materials we use, animals, other people, even with our memory, our intelligence, they all have another origin. Now, in the natural world, among those lower than human beings, they na everyone naturally gives back to their source. You know, the sun nourishes the trees. The trees transform the solar energy into different products, right? The fruit gives us energy, we eat the fruit, and then from the energy of eating the fruit, we pass stool and urine that goes back into the earth. The tree goes back into the earth and nourishes the ground. So everything is giving back. Within nature, everything gives back to its source all the time. And even if we don't voluntarily give back to our source, we will be forced to. If our body is burned after death, it goes back to the earth. If it's buried, it goes back to the earth. Just by our breathing, we're giving back. When my mother was near the end of her life, as she started to, she was a very wealthy person, and she started giving away the majority of her money. And she said, Better to give away with a warm hand than a cold hand. In other words, better to give away your wealth while you're alive. And Bali Maharaj says the same thing. When Vamandev comes to beg charity, Bali Maharaj says, uh, why not give back to the Lord everything that he's going to take at the time of death? Uh, and we can give with love and we can give voluntarily. So... Uh, this is really the essence of yagya. The essence of yagya is choosing 
to do a voluntary, loving giving back to he from whom we are getting everything, rather than a forced giving back. So it's establishing this, this a loving exchange, like Rupa Goswami writes about the loving exchanges, food, gifts, and confidences. You give, you receive, you give, you receive. So Krishna is giving to us, and then we give back to him. Uh, this sort of natural loving exchange happens. Again, it happens by design in the world. And even like within a family, you know, you give your child food, and the child wants to share their food with you. This is, it's a natural thing. You feed the child, the child tries to feed you. Yeah? I mean, in fact, we feel peculiar if someone's giving and giving and giving to us and we don't give anything in exchange. It, it feels uncomfortable. You know, we're like, I'm just taking, I'm not giving anything in exchange. Mm-hmm. So this yagya is, is, is specific ceremonies of giving. Now you might ask, why are there specific ceremonies? Why are they, in one sense, ritualized? And every human culture has these ritualized ceremonies. So they're, again, they're a way of giving back and a way of connection. They're a way of connection. Let's think about how we connect with other humans in our life. So yesterday, so I'm right now on the east coast of the United States. I'm in North Carolina, and one of my sons is on the west coast of the United States in Southern California. So I was talking to him yesterday. So in order to talk to him, he, uh, well, first of all, I connected on the computer. So on the computer, I have a particular number for him. And with that number, I can send him a message. And he has my number, and he can send me a message. So I can read what he's saying, and he can read what I'm saying. But then we wanted to do a call, so he sends me a link. And I click on the link, and then I can connect with him. So that's a kind of ceremony. I mean, if I want to call him, right, I have to have this device. You'll have one of these devices. And it has to be charged. Let's see, I've got 60% battery. Okay. I have to have enough battery, and then I have to have a phone app. I have to open up my phone, and then I have to have his number. I have to have his, and if I get one number wrong, it won't work. And he has to have a phone on his end, and he has to have battery. Oh, and we also have to be connected to a network. So I have to be connected to a network. He has to be connected to a network. His phone has to be charged. And then because I'm on the East Coast and he's on the West Coast, there's a three-hour time difference. So if I were to call him now, it's 7.30 my time, so that would be 4.30 in the morning. His time, he probably wouldn't like that very much. I have to get the right time. Just like yesterday, there was a devotee who'd been corresponding with me from Russia, asking me to give some classes at the end of October. And I'd been busy. I hadn't responded to her for, I think, two days. I hadn't responded. So yesterday I was out in an appointment. And while I'm out at the appointment, my phone is ringing that she's trying to call me to confirm about what dates I can give class. And I didn't answer the phone. You know, it, it, And it was actually disturbing 
that she's calling me while I'm in the middle of another appointment. You know, it, was, it, it wasn't something favorable. In fact, it was annoying. And sometimes you have this, you know, people contact you over some messaging app and you don't even know them. And they're in another part of the world and then they random you call you, randomly call you at 1 o'clock in the morning your time. So ceremonies are like that. The proper time, the proper place, the proper equipment. And you just get one thing off. And instead of making a connection, you may either just fail to make a connection, like I just didn't answer the phone, or you may annoy somebody, you may disturb them. So Krishna actually says that he is the yagya. He says this, I believe, in the 10th chapter, that I am the yagya, I am the kratu. And kratu is a particular kind of Vedic sacrifice. So the ceremonies that are listed in the scriptures to connect with the Lord, or even to connect with the demigods who are agents of the Lord, these are ceremonies that the Lord likes. You know, like we may ask somebody, do you want me to send you an email? Or do you want me to write you a text message? You know, some people like to be connected on WhatsApp. Some people like to be connected on Messenger. Some people want to have a Zoom call. Some people want to have a phone call. Some people want to get an email. So Krishna has his preferences. He has his preferences. This is the way I want to be contacted. This is the way I want to be connected with. So the ceremonies are not empty rituals. They're not... These people think a religious ceremony is an empty ritual. It's not. It's not an empty ritual any more than typing a particular number on my phone at a particular time of the day is going to connect me with a particular person. And you know, it, it's not meaningless. Somebody will say, well, that's mechanical. No, it's not mechanical. It's not mechanical at all. It's the way that I express my desire to connect with someone. And when I connect with the Lord, or even with his representatives, the way they want to be connected with, then there's, it's pleasing. You know, I called my son yesterday because I needed his help with something. And he was very happy to help me. Because there's a reciprocation of affection and a reciprocation of respect. And a way of connecting that's respectful. And that's why the yagyas bring material prosperity. You know, I, I, have, uh, I knew some uh, devotees whose son became a heroin addict and they didn't let him in the house because he would steal. So they wanted prosperity for their son. They wanted happiness for their son. But because he was stealing, they wouldn't let him in. So when we do these yagyas properly, when we do these religious ceremonies properly, sometimes we'll, Prabhupada will call them ritualistic ceremonies, then Krishna's happy and his agents are happy. And when everybody's happy, then they provide prosperity. Also, doing these sort of yagyas shows the devas and shows the deva deva jagatpate, it shows Krishna, that we're using his energy respectfully. That we're using his, his, our relationship with him respectfully. You know, somebody that calls me at a, at a time when I'm in the middle of an appointment, they're not respecting me. They're not respecting my energy. They're not respecting my desires. And I become less willing to cooperate with them. 
and somebody, you know, or or if you say to someone, you know, this happens too, I'm sure to all of us, where somebody, you know, they want my help. And I'll say, okay, you can call me at, you know, 2 p.m. in the afternoon on Saturday, and we'll have the call on WhatsApp, and then they don't show. So I make an arrangement, okay, I'm going to be here at 2 p.m. on a Saturday, I'm going to be here, and where are they? Where were, where were you? We had an appointment. Oh, I forgot. I spaced it up. So we have our, our times, our ways of connection with the divine, and when we do so, then Krishna and his agents are inclined to give us material prosperity. They trust us. You know, we often ask, can I trust God? But God is also asking, can I trust you? I mean, it, it's pretty simple. I, why do I trust people? I trust people who are grateful. I trust people who reciprocate. I trust people who have respect for me. I trust people who I feel have my best interest at heart. If someone's using my facility, if they're staying in my house, then I trust them if they take care of my things in ways that I like. So we're in Krishna's house. Now, of course... Having material prosperity is not an end in and of itself, although many religions think like that. And Krishna is very disappointed with that kind of mentality if one thinks, well, the reason I'm respecting the Lord and the reason I'm connecting with the Lord and the reason I'm following his instructions for how to connect with him is so he'll give me prosperity in this world. You know, we don't really like that either. If someone's being nice to me and they're respectful to me because they want to get something from me, you know, like like we, we go to someone's house, we want them to give a donation, and so we're very polite and we're very respectful, even though we're bored and we want to get out of there or we don't even like them. You know, it, that's not pleasing. I mean, Krishna would rather we connect with him even for a material purpose than not connect with him at all. But the ultimate reason of having these yagyas is so we can revive our relationship with Krishna. The material prosperity is becomes less and less and less important to someone who's connected with the Lord in love. If we're connected with the Lord and, and his agents in love, then whether we're materially prosperous to use in his service or whether we're not materially prosperous but we're still in his service, it becomes not very important. You know, Arjuna had his Gandiva bow and his all opulences to use on the battlefield for Krishna. And then it was time to go. You know, he didn't have his opulences to use for Krishna anymore. And it wasn't important. Either way, he was connected with Krishna. So if Krishna gives me a service for which I don't need any opulences, that's fine. And if Krishna gives me a service for which I can use opulences to use for him, that's fine. The point is, am I connected with him? And, and all the great devotees, when they're asked, what do you want? I want to serve you. I want to remember you. I want to hear about you. I want to be connected with you. I don't want to have any desires to exploit you. So my son is grateful that I call him when I need his help. He's grateful for that. But if I, because he likes talking to me and he likes helping me. This is help that he volunteers to give. He says, Mata, I'd like to help you in this way. At the same time, if I only call him when I need his help, that's not very pleasing. If I call him just to say hello, and even in the conversation, you know, if we have time, if he's not rushed and I'm not rushed, we spend part of the conversation, how are you doing? 
How is your wife? How are your kids doing? How is your business going? And he's asking me, what are you doing? What are you working on now? When are you going to be traveling? When are you doing this? And, and hopefully we're not just doing that as unofficial, you know, official small talk. <laughs> but we're doing it because we actually care. And so doing yagyas gets us to care about Krishna, about pleasing him, and connects us with him in love. All right, then what kind of ceremony should we do? So Srila Prabhupada's writing here about doing Vedic yagyas with ghee. And he's writing about that here because that's what the verse is about. The verse is about doing Vedic sacrifices with ghee. And these sacrifices have to be done at certain times in certain ways by certain priests. And they have to have certain levels of cleanliness and certain ingredients. And if they say one mantra wrong, you know, one mantra wrong instead of Indra killing uh, Vitrasura, Vitrasura, instead of Vitrasura killing Indra, Indra killed Vitrasura. Instead of Manu having a boy, Manu had a girl. Uh, You say one mantra wrong and everything's for Shimmel and everything's messed up. And although Srila Prabhupada is saying here in this uh, purport that we should revive this Vedic way of life so that we can protect cows and have ghee, uh, there's other times when, and we do these kind of yagyas in our Hare Krishna movement. We do yagyas with fire and ghee and mantras. But the main yagya is that of the holy name. And Krishna, although he says, I am the yagya, I am the kratu, he also says, of all yagyas, I am japa. And of course, we know at the present time, the yagya is Sankirtan, to join together. Yes, so the nice thing, uh, there are some very nice things about these yagyas of uh, the holy name. Whether it's a yagya of the holy name that we're chanting alone or quietly for ourselves, or whether it's a yagya of the holy name we're chanting out loud with instruments, or a yagya of the holy name we're chanting out loud uh, with a group. And that is that all of these time, place, circumstances become irrelevant. So for the other yagyas, they have to be performed at a certain time, certain place, certain ways, and it's very particular. It's very particular. If, I have, if I'm supposed to have a phone call with you at 2, and you call at 2.30, I may be gone. If you're supposed to type my number, you know, 3457, and you type 3458, you're not going to get me. You're going to get, you know whatever, car repair shop, you're going to get something else. And you're not, we're not going to make the connection. But with the holy name, it's a very different kind of yagya. Now, while Krishna is the ceremony of connection, he is the yagya because the yagyas represent his desires and his desires and he are the same. Yet Krishna and his name are the same in a deeper way. And so when we connect with the Lord's name, uh, it, it is the Lord. There he is. And the Lord is there at any time and any place. Prabhupada said you can chant Hare Krishna in the toilet room. Uh, one can chant in one's mind. So the ceremony of connection... Oh, thank you so much. The ceremony of connection where we are chanting the Lord's holy name is the best it doesn't require anybody to be uh, skilled or intelligent or wealthy or have anything at all. 
it, it only requires uh, simply that one can uh, think, <laughs> uh, because one can chant even in one's mind. It requires, you know, it requires that, that one has the ability to think or hopefully to speak and to hear. But even I know deaf devotees who are engaged in the Holy Name. Thank you for bringing breakfast. Yeah, you bet. And Krishna is available at any time. Now, you could, we say that there's no rules, but one, uh, one can chant even jokingly, one can chant even like, oh, look at those Hare Krishnas there. Uh, but we do say that there are offenses on chanting. So ideally, there are also ways of connecting with the Lord through our chanting. Uh, that is also true. And if we want to connect with the Lord in a, in a real proper way, uh, then we want to avoid those offenses. We want to chant in a way that really shows our love and connection, that really shows our desire to connect. At least we should make an effort to chant in that way. And the ultimate way of living life is not just periodic yagyas. So uncivilized people don't even do periodic yagyas. They go their, their days, their weeks, their months go by, and they never do any ceremony of connection with the Lord. Imagine that, never paying your electric bill. <laughs> and so therefore, civilization is, is in chaos. The weather is chaotic. I mean, solving climate change isn't only about having electric vehicles and solar panels and, and using you know, not using plastic. It's not only about that, which are good and laudable things, but it's also about having these sacred ceremonies of connection. So some people never do them. They think they're superstitious. Other people, they do them, you know, a few times a year, Christmas and Easter. Some people do them once a week. Some people do them every day. At a certain time of the day, they do some ceremony of connection. But the ultimate aim is that everything we do is a ceremony of connection. That in every act, we're connecting with the Lord. With every breath, Arjuna says, you are the air incoming outcome. That Krishna is my intelligence, my memory, my forgetfulness. And every act that we do at every moment becomes a kind of connection. And in fact, the idea of doing a daily time of yagya, or a weekly, or a monthly, or a seasonal, is to eventually bring us to the point where we're always connected. Where we always have this yoga of connection. And then we experience happiness far, far beyond having enough grains and nice weather we experience a a transcendent happiness. So we have (laughs) 10 minutes if anybody has questions, comments, corrections, additions, subtractions, chastisements. Camila, Devi Prabhu, there's a question in the chat box. Can you see that? Do you want me to read it? Um, The one about Sankirtan, I already answered that. It's a... what about Sankirtan Yagya? I, I already answered. Asking, I already answered. What is the prescribed Yagya in Kali Yuga? And there is no specific time, place, or circumstance to do the Yagya. It is always and any time. Thoughts, 
Yes, I already saw that and I already answered that. Thank you. Does anybody else have any questions? Um, Athena, Hi, you Krishna. have your hand raised. Yes. Yes, Haribo. Hi, yes, thank you. Uh, you answered my, my questions so nicely. Thank you. Um, thank you. I guess as a follow-up, it's very interesting that if you take the concept that if God is all-merciful and all-loving, and that love transcends no matter through time or our yuga, um, why such specific rules and stringent, um, yeah, stringent and strict rules um, in prior um, yugas um, to to connect with Him um, when when He's so when it's so, I guess God wants us to always be talking to Him at any Certainly. point in time. Certainly. So why such strict? and stringent rules to do so. Okay, so my son loves me. Why does he want me to call at a certain time? Um, I, I understand that, that it, you gave really nice examples of your unemployment, it was annoying, there's time. But don't you think that's, in one sense, uh, what they call anthropomorphism, in that it's applying our limited abilities to God? God can play in the spiritual world and pick up any phone call at any time. That's certainly, that's certainly true. And he's happy for us to call on him in his name at any time. At the same time, let's say that Krishna just said, you can contact me anyway at any time. I don't care how you contact me anyway at any time. There's no... Think of what that would mean for the vast majority of people. What it actually comes down to is then the vast majority of people would not connect with him at all. For somebody who is spiritually advanced, they naturally connect with the Lord at any time in any place. And, they, and that's a fact. But if we give that as a prescription to everybody, they just won't even do it at all. And this is true, again, for almost anything. Just like um, I injured my right arm about a year and a half ago, and I have, to, I have to see the physical therapist, that's the appointment I was at, and I have to do exercises every day to try to fix the problem. So I'm much more likely to do the exercises if I do them at a certain time every day or connected with something else, like if I do them before lunch. If I just say, well, I'm going to exercise anytime, then I'm likely not to do them at all. Also, like I have a little app, the physical therapist gave me an app that lists the exercises and every day I check off whether or not I've done them. I'm much more likely to do them if I have that kind of a ritual. You know, so the fact that she gives me specific exercises, she gives me videos of how to do the exercises, she gives me a little app where I check them off, I am more likely to do them. So because Krishna loves us, he knows that we're self-centered and we might intend to connect with him, but we don't. Just like I have a lot of people that I intend to keep up with, and I, I just don't. I don't call them, I don't write them, and I think, oh, I should write that. I should call that person. But I don't. But if there's something that's part of the culture, 
every morning we get together, we say this prayer, we do this ritual, or every Sunday or every Friday or, you know, every year at this time, we're a lot more likely to do them. And why does he have a particular way? Because he's a person and he has things he likes and he has things he doesn't like. Now, he's happy if you call on him anytime, place, in any way. He's certainly happy for that. But he does have feelings. And that's not anthropomorphism. It goes the other way. Because God is a person, therefore we are persons. The fact that I have certain ways I like to be contacted is indicative of the fact that God has certain ways he likes to be contacted. He's appreciative for anything. But he does have things that he likes more than other things. So understanding he's given us very particular ceremonies, both so that we'll actually do them, (laughs) and so we can get a sense that he's a person. That he is a person. He has his likes and dislikes. He has his personality. That's what it means to be a person. But yes, you can cut. You don't need to do any of those ritualistic ceremonies to connect with God. That's a fact. You can connect with him at every moment through everything. And there's a lot of instructions in the scripture like that as well. In fact, I was just listening to a class yesterday where the speaker was talking about that. Krishna's instructions to Uddhava. He says, after I leave the planet, Uddhava, you should connect with me through everything, through nature. And there's so much instructions in the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavatam about how to connect with the Lord through nature, just by seeing the trees, by hearing the birds. But one's ability to do that is generally strengthened by having regular times of ceremonies of connection. You know, again, if you just tell people to do that, they forget, they won't do it. They'll mean to. They'll be well-meaning. Does that make sense to you? Thank you so much. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to reflect back if that's okay. Yes. Really what I'm hearing. Ultimately, it's not, yes, that God is a person, but ultimately these rules and restrictions are for us. For yes. us. That's what I'm hearing. It's because we are so unregulated. We're so sinful or we're so, you know, whatever it is. We, he's doing it for us. Like he, and this goes back to the greater, that God doesn't need anything. You know, he, yes. he tells me, he couldn't need it. He doesn't need our, our flowers. He doesn't need our, our, our offerings, right? He doesn't need it. It's really for us. Correct. So it goes to that these yagyas and these rules and, and are, are for us, not really for him. Um, that being said, um, sure, because also, see, this is interesting, because he still is God, you must approach him in a certain way, just like how we approach Guru first and then even in worship, then kind of going down the line. Um, one just uh, just comment um, or thought that came up is that it's interesting because in um, certain other faiths, just like in Islam, they pray five times a day. It's a very, very specific well, time of day that they pray, and um, that also, in one sense, is yagya, or it's like a prescribed time to connect with God. That's right. Um, and it's interesting because I would say they say you can talk similar. You you can pray and talk to God any time, but to because you're like running all around all the time, being so absorbed in material life. Here are the five times I ask you to just connect with me and talk to me. Exactly. Times and maybe that's you know I guess I feel like it is. And you're going to take it very seriously. You know I've been in Muslim countries. The call to prayer goes out. They get out their prayer mats and they do their their thing and and they take it seriously. Sorry, Mahalakshmi, I didn't get to you because they do like to eight end to eight o'clock. Thank you, thank you, Athena, very much. I'm I'm so glad you brought this up. Ashula Prabhupada Kijai.